Oregon football officially loses Travis Dye, and he is going to USC. What to make of that, plus Oregon basketball steamrolls the Huskies over the weekend. Back at it in a brand new week. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday. Remember to like and subscribe. Leave a five-star review wherever you are listening right now. I don't care what platform it is. I just appreciate that you listen. And if you want to let me know that you like the show, I always appreciate that. It really does make my day. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Experience the game like never before with Sonos Arc, the premium smart soundbar for TV, movies, music, gaming, and more. Visit Sonos.com to learn more. I've used that Sonos bar. It is really, really good stuff. Okay, so Duck fans, let's 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 be real here. Let's let's talk about it. Travis Dye is going to USC. I know, I know. I didn't want to see him putting up those two fingers and saying fight on for the 2022 football season, his last of college football eligibility. I didn't want to see it either. But let's be honest about it. It could have been worse. It, it, it really, it could have been worse. And when I say it could have been worse, I mean he could have gone to certain teams that I shall not call out by name, but are located in Corvallis, and in the greater Seattle, Washington area. So it could have been a lot worse. And there's a lot to break down with this because it's really an interesting move for a couple of reasons. And I'm going to go through just about everything that that I've been that I've been thinking about this and I've let it kind of marinate for a couple days and now I'm ready to to unleash, shall we say. So Travis Dye is leaving Oregon going to USC. Starting with Travis Dye himself, I don't think this is the best move for him individually, and I don't think it's the best move for him team-wise. Now, I'm not trying to say, like, oh my gosh, the transfer portal's ridiculous, Travis Dye shouldn't be it. No, I'm not saying that. Just as an observer and fan of college football, I think he could have gone to a place that might allow him to thrive more. doesn't mean he won't have success. Lincoln Riley is a brilliant I mean, brilliant offensive mind at the college level, has produced NFL caliber quarterbacks, has produced NFL caliber skill position guys, running backs, receivers, and tight ends. They all go through his offense, and they are going to have offensive skill pieces that are able to complement die so defenses can't just focus in on focus in on him like, frankly, teams were probably able to do this past season because Oregon didn't incorporate their wide receivers into the offense very much. They were run game dependent, but the offensive line was just, you know, that good. I harbor no ill will here towards Travis Dye. Absolutely none. These are these are just my thoughts on the move. USC's got a dynamic offensive coach. That's an upside, and I'll get to more of those in a bit, but I think there are downsides here for Travis Dye. And if you didn't listen last week, I'll give you a brief rundown when I was speculating where he might go or 
why he might want to leave. If he's thinking about his NFL prospects, he wants to, or should want to, I think, go to a place where he could be the number one running back, where he could showcase that for a second straight season in college football, he can be a number one running back in a Power 5 conference and compete at a high level and put up good quality numbers. I think that's what was in his best interest. I don't know if he's going to get that at USC. And the reason I say that is because USC has gone into the transfer portal for a running back from Stanford by the name of Austin Jones. Some of you may remember having watched Austin Jones at Stanford. He is a talented guy. And when you look at the running backs that Lincoln Riley has had over the last several years at USC, they haven't really been in the Travis Dye mold, right? Ramondre Stevenson, kind of a big bruiser. Uh, The guy they have right now, Kennedy Brooks, kind of a big bruiser. They've used some speed guys here and there, but they run at their core when they do run the ball, a power running scheme where they like to pin and pull, you know, they block down, they pull two linemen around up into the hole. That lends itself to be a physical way of running the football. And Travis Dye is capable of running the ball, I think, in any system, but I have no idea how he's going to see Travis Dye as a running back compared to a guy like Austin Jones, who's just a, a little bit bulkier. The other downside for USC or for Travis Dye going to USC, the offensive line has not been good. It, it has been a glaring weakness for the Trojans. And aside from that unit, which is you know crucial, and Travis Dye just ran behind what was probably the best one in the conference. And yes, I include Utah in that unit. And the Utes' offensive line was good, but Oregon's was really, really good, and should be again this year, which is great for us as Duck fans. But aside from that unit, their overall roster isn't ready to win yet. They don't have enough players on the defensive side of the ball. And that's always been Lincoln Riley's weakness at Oklahoma is that he hasn't been able to get enough high-level defensive players. So if you were looking to go to a place, like if you're Travis Dye, and you're looking to go to a place where you're going to be able to win at a high level, perhaps, or at the very least, showcase yourself as the feature back, I don't know if he's going to be able to find either at USC. Now, Lincoln Riley will elevate them from the four-win team they were a season ago, but is he going to be able to turn around from four and go from 10 to 12? I don't know. The only thing we've seen Lincoln Riley do is take over a historically great college football program and elevate it to another level. We haven't seen him try to do a turnaround from a program that was down in the dumps. More on Travis Dye coming, but first, if you don't have Get Upside, You have to know about it. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up if they just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play and use the promo code SCORE. That'll get you a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump. Use Get Upside and promo promo code SCORE. People who are using Get Upside are making $200 to $300 a month in cash back. And there's no catch. The cash gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, e-gift card, Amazon, and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app. Use promo code SCORE and get $0.50 a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code SCORE. Okay, so Travis Dye chooses USC. And I, I think there are some downsides for him, but there are some upsides as well. Lincoln Riley's going to score points. Whether they are good or bad this year, 
Lincoln Riley's offense is going to score points. So there are going to be touches available for all of their skill position guys, including Travis Dye, who are going to have opportunities to to get into the end zone and, and make plays in space. That's something Lincoln Riley is really good at, scheming guys open and putting them into space. I think he'll be able to utilize a dynamic player like Travis Dye. I don't know how many touches he'll be able to get. I think the schools that I mentioned before, you know, the Arizonas, Cows, or heck, even the Oregon States of the world, I think he would have had an opportunity to do more with, with, in terms of production there. But USC is a big brand. They'll get a lot of nationally televised games. Link, being associated with Lincoln Riley has generally been good for offensive skill players. If he can become the number one lead back and not have to split with Austin Jones, it could end up being very good for him. I just don't know how Lincoln Riley is going to approach that running back room. I think it's a little bit less clear-cut, even for a guy like Dye, who was extremely productive a season ago. They'll be better than last year, especially if they get Caleb Williams, but you know we'll, we'll just have to see how, how that plays out. But I, I don't harbor any ill will towards him. As I said, I wish him well. He had a great career at Oregon. He and Verdell were a great tandem. He really showed what he's capable of this past season. And, you know, I'll, I'll be rooting for him to have individual success, even if I'm, you know, not necessarily rooting for his team to have a high level of success. Though, I, I sort of am, and I'll address that in full on a, on a later episode, maybe this week. I also don't think that Die going to USC is a shot at Oregon, right? I don't think that Duck fans should feel burned by the fact that he went there or that he's going to USC. Oh, yeah, sticking it to Oregon. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's really as simple as this. Being at a place for four years is a long time. And with the staff change, he's probably looking for a change of scenery, and it just felt like the right time, right? I mean, he was probably thinking, man, maybe I want to go somewhere else for my final year of college ball. And then Cristobal and the staff leaves. It probably just reinforced to him that this is the right decision for me. This is the right thing for me to do right now. And I, and I don't hold that against him. So... I, that, that's that's how I feel about, about that. But now to the other side of it, what does this mean for Oregon? First of all, <laughs> I think we're all waiting. And we've all been waiting. And we've been waiting patiently. We would all like to hear what C.J. Verdell is going to do. Now, I understand there's a lot of things to try and figure out. He's probably testing the NFL draft waters. Or maybe he's about to announce his name into the transfer portal. Nobody knows. There's been a startlingly low amount of news about Oregon's potential feature running back in 2022. But Travis Dye leaving solidifies Byron Cardwell Jr. and Sean Dollars as the next guys up. And I, I am very confident in the fact, and Jeff Schwartz, former Oregon offensive lineman, who I've said before, you should follow on Twitter. He's a great, great follow on there. He, he thinks this as well. Behind this offensive line that has a bunch of talented dudes on there and is only losing one starter, they're going to be able to run the ball. It, it, it's just They will be able, unless the scheme goes back to 1940s-style you know, wing T look, and, and heck, I think they'd even be able to do that. I mean, this offensive line, I was watching some, uh, some game highlights over the weekend, because that's you know how I enjoy spending my free time every now and then. That offensive line just moves people 
in this conference. They, they really, really do. And frankly, against Oklahoma, they held up very, very well for the most part. couple of lapses on blitz pickups, but Dye was able to run the ball in that game too. And, and Cardwell, we know what he's going to be able to do. And I think Oregon fans should be excited for the potential that he's got. His patience and acceleration, I think, gives him sort of a unique running style that, that makes him shifty but powerful and, and explosive. And he is... I think going to be a really, really good running back. And Dollars is just a straight-line speed guy. He, he's just got it, and I want to see him get more touches as well. So the, the running back room is going to be fine. Now, a talented guy in this high school class, would it hurt? No, because having a bunch of depth is not a bad thing when when you have guys leaving at this rate. But I did see the, the running back, who I mentioned either last week or the week before, when, when talking about this, from Colorado, the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, Jarek Broussard, he went on a visit to Oregon. It seems like there's a lot of fit there. Now, do we need Jarek Broussard? I think the answer is no. If your running back room is Verdell, Cardwell, and Dollars, you're good. I, I think you are good. With Seven McGee in there, if uh, you know we have to move him back from the slot position because of injuries, and whatever other young guys they're able to get in recruiting, which we'll check in on signing day in a couple weeks as well. Exciting times because uh, Oregon has been hard at work on the recruiting trail. But I, I think that this running back room is fine without Broussard. Now, if C.J. Verdell comes out and says, I'm going in the portal or I'm going to the NFL draft, then I will say, okay, we need Broussard. You, you need to have a one-two punch, not just in case a guy gets injured, as C.J. Verdell did this year, but also because, as we saw over the past couple of seasons, really, some days it's this guy, and other days it's that guy. I mean, there's not always uh, a consistent guy who's going to kill it every single game, day in and day out. And, you know, at the running back position, it's just inevitable that guys will get dinged up and have to miss a game or two. You know, LaMichael never had a, a big injury, that caused him to miss, you know, a ton of games, but he did have that elbow thing and he was out for a little bit, but we had Kenyon able to step up and, you know, the two of them both had a lot of carries because sometimes one guy is hot and the other guy is cold and sometimes it's vice versa. And sure you have a lead back. LaMichael was always ahead of Kenyon, but there were stretches where Kenyon ran really well. And so you, you want to be able to have that flexibility at the running back position, maybe more than any of the other ones, because it's such a feel thing and sort of uh, playing the hot hand. It's why you see running back be done by committee more than more than most other positions, right? You don't see that on offensive line very often. Uh, your receivers are typically set with their top guys. You know, the the third or fourth receiver will rotate in and out, but running backs, it's it's good to have a tandem. So if Verdell comes back, then we don't need Jarek Broussard. But if Verdell leaves, then I'll say, okay, we need to go get Broussard, who is a proven, capable, talented running back in the Pac-12 who's had success running in this conference. Get to Oregon basketball and their uh, plethora of wins over the Huskies, which always feels good. But Bet Online would like to wish you a happy betting New Year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. It remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022 
It's a new year, new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And speaking of 2022, it's the new year, which means you've probably got New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, Built Bar has to be in your plan. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. It'll stay in your resolution. You'll be able to commit to it because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, froze there for a moment, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Candy bars are usually 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Plus, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Tons of flavors, from mint brownie to salted caramel to raspberry and everything in between. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Okay, so we uh, we closed the pod today with a fun and glorious weekend of Oregon basketball. And there were a couple great things to note about these two games. Number one, the women on, uh, it was either Friday or Saturday, they beat Washington on, on the road. A little closer than you maybe would have expected, but wins are wins, and it always feels good to beat the Huskies, right? And then... The men on Sunday, after the craziest weekend of NFL football you or I or your kids or grandkids or future kids have ever seen or will ever see, just absolutely bananas, right after that, Oregon comes onto my television. They're playing Washington at home on FS1. And the Huskies are probably not going to be a tournament team, but they're a respectable Pac-12 opponent. They're four and twelve in conference play, or four and two, sorry, four and two coming into conference play in this game. And Dana Altman, after having his team get their game canceled on Thursday when they were supposed to play Washington State at home, they came out, and when I say they boat raced the Huskies right out of Matthew Knight Arena, there are not enough metaphors to properly articulate the trouncing that took place in this game. It ended up being 84 to 56, and it really wasn't even that close because that margin is less than 30 points. And for most of this game, Oregon was absolutely dominating all the way around. It was one of the best all-around performances of the year which is important for a couple reasons, and I'll tell you why after I just kind of give you the, the game rundown. Gurrier and Jacob Young had 12 apiece. Will Richardson <laughs> led the way with 21 points to go with four assists on 8 of 11 shooting. He was 3 of 5 from downtown. The Ducks had nine players get on the scoreboard, and they all had four or more points. I mean, Biddle was into the game. He rarely plays. Soares had six points off the bench. Kepnong had nine points and a couple of, uh, or he had one rejection as well. It, it was just a really well-rounded game. And it was fun to see for a, a couple of reasons. Oregon is not known, and I mentioned this last week, under Dane Altman for getting off to particularly hot starts. But they came out 
guns blazing at both ends of the court, and they were they were just clicking. And and this is a team that now night in and night out, when I watch them play, they are determined. They they are looking like they know they have turned a corner, and they know that they are going to be able to you know get to the tournament if they keep playing at a certain level. Their defensive intensity at that end of the court is fantastic. Their patience and good shot selection at the other end, which has been a problem at times this year from what I've seen, particularly early in the season. They weren't getting a lot of good shots. They improved. They have improved in that department tremendously. And Washington was running a 2-3 zone, and the Ducks were just patiently picking them apart, and they were doing it from everywhere. And they shot the ball really well. Like I said, Richardson was 8 of 11, 3 of 5 from distance. Harmon hit an early 3. Young had a couple of early buckets. And then what that did is it brought what is really a pretty compact 2-3 zone by the Huskies. It brought it out. And then the Ducks, as any well-coached team would do, they were able to attack inside. And a lot of times, even when teams get hot against the zone, they'll continue to settle for outside shots. But this team, veteran and smart, you know, they've got a lot of transfers who are experienced. Gurrier on Syracuse last year got to the Sweet 16. Young has played a lot of college basketball. Harmon played at Oklahoma. I mean, these guys have been around the block, and it was good to see them use that veteran presence to know how to attack the zone. And defensively, when I say they were bringing it, at the half, this is a real stat that happened in this game. At the half, Washington had 13 points. <laughs> it was 44 to 10 at one point. It was 48 to 13 at the half. And in that first half, Washington had 14 turnovers compared to 13 points. That is, I mean, it's not great playing from the Huskies, but when you watch this Oregon team play defense, they look like the Dana Altman teams of the past. And Kepnong and Dante continue to get better and better at both ends of the court. Their, their footwork is improving. Their touch has really come a long way and looks good for both of them with, with their hook shots. They're able to throw it down, and they get nice feeds from a group of really talented and veteran guards in Harmon, Young, and Richardson. And Eric Williams is in there, too. I'm pretty sure this is his fifth year of college basketball. I mean, it, it's a really good-looking group that's coming together, and they're athletic. And when they're playing like that at the defensive end, and just the presence of Dante and Kepnong inside are intimidating the opponent, it, it's a great thing to watch. And this was one of those games where you just sit back and enjoy because, you know, we all learn during football season, wins are not always easy. So when they come easy, you enjoy them. And I was enjoying this one. Everything was clicking from the Ducks, from the jump. They didn't trail other than, I think Washington maybe had the first two points of the game. I don't even know if, if that's the case. But regardless, this was all Oregon all the way. Not a great Washington team, but again, they were 4-2 and two in their first six games against league opponents. And if Oregon keeps playing at this level, those games with Arizona are just going to be huge. I mean, Arizona looks insanely, insanely good. But if Oregon keeps playing at this level, they'll be able to get an at-large bid into the NCAA tournament. They won't have to win 
the conference tournament and able to uh, in order to get in. And next up, they've got Colorado on Tuesday, which will be a uh, a pretty tough game. Colorado this year is uh, four and four in conference play, twelve and or eleven and six, or excuse me, yeah, twelve and six overall. And then uh, another home game on Saturday against the Beavs, who are uh, currently a dreadful three and fourteen. So lots coming up with the Ducks. Hopefully, it'll be more wins, but. If they keep playing at this level and they end up with fewer than 10 losses, they're at six right now. If they can be at fewer than 10 by the end of the year, maybe win a couple games in the tournament, I think they'll be able to get into the big dance once again. If you want me to answer a question here on the show, use the hashtag AskLODPod, or you can DM at LockedOnDucks on Twitter or my personal account at Smalls underscore 55. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks!